Welcome to episode 21 of You Are Not A Frog. Help, I'm turning into a monster at work. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high stress jobs. Working in today's high stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boiled alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. So on with episode 21. So this episode I recorded at a recent conference I was at with my Lead Manage Thrive co-presenters. So just before evening drinks, we got together in a hotel room and recorded this uh episode which is an ask the frog episode so I'm really pleased to have Dr Riaz Jetta, Dr Joe Scrivens and Jamie Wiley with me um, any sort of weird clunking you can hear will be the ice in our glasses of uh, gins and tonic and soft drinks for those of us who weren't drinking so um, I hope you enjoy this I had great fun recording this episode here we go Welcome to another episode of the podcast and it's really great to have with me today my Lead Manage Thrive posse or some of them. I have uh, Dr Jamie Wiley. Hello. I have Dr Riaz Jetta. Hey. And Dr Joe Scrivens. Hello. And you're going to hear their collective wisdom, which is great indeed. And I think we're going to do an Ask the Frog episode. So I have a question. I have a question. I have a listener dilemma and it is, dear, you're not a frog. Help, I think I'm turning into a monster at work. Every day I set off to work with the best intentions. I get into the surgery, make myself a cup of tea, and then it starts. I feel overwhelmed with what's going on by the end of my surgery. I feel like I'm chasing my tail. I have been becoming increasingly snappy with the receptionist. It got to the point where my practice manager had a word with me last week because apparently what I said made somebody cry. I really didn't mean to. I really love the team that I work with and I'm genuinely a nice person. 
but I just think I'm having difficulty managing my emotions, particularly when I feel very under pressure. What can I do about this? Can I have that letter back? (laughs) (laughs) Riaz, you can just phone me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, does that happen to any of you guys? I mean, not obviously making people cry, but I mean, finding yourself acting in a way that you really don't want to be acting at work. Yes, I have a very good example of that. Yeah. Which is when I am... It's usually when I'm duty doctor, actually, when I feel particularly overwhelmed. So to put it in context, and I suppose other GPs out working out there might get this, is sitting in the on-call room, trying to manage an endless number of telephone calls that are coming through, but also acting as the sort of support person, if you like, for the other healthcare professionals working around you who are struggling with their patients and asking you questions having messages coming through on the computer screen, having the GP trainee come in and quiz you about patients they're seeing, and at times feeling utterly and completely overwhelmed. And what I'm aware of is often wandering into the surgery on a morning with quite a smile on my face and saying hi to everyone in a friendly manner. And I start off the duty doctor session like that. And then probably about three hours into it there's a change in my behavior where I have been known to swear use inappropriate language and you know I think people around me sensing there is a very frazzled feel about the atmosphere in the room where I'm sitting because it feels very overwhelming and how that at times feels very unprofessional. Do you find yourself swearing at people or just at the computer? I don't swear directly at people. I've maybe sort of said, oh, you know, it'd be easy if everyone just out of here. (laughs) And people sort of smile at it a bit and have a bit of a laugh about it. But I do then sometimes drive away thinking, hmm, what's going on here? And how was that really taken? And was that very professional? Is that familiar to you, Riaz? Absolutely. I think you can't be a GPA and not have gone through that at some point in your career. And I think looking back now, it's probably symptomatic of deeper issues, deeper problems. And I think that having lived through something like that, you know, frequently through a normal working week for many years, I was fortunate enough to have recognised it and I've done something about it. You know, it's not easy. Sometimes you don't have those choices available to you. But I think that I've made some very big decisions that I don't want to put myself through that again. And I've also learnt from those episodes that actually, you know, you you can't control that demand. It's It's out of your control. So the best you can do is look after yourself and those you're working with and do the best you can that day. And if you can go home having done the best you possibly could have, that's enough. And I really try my very hardest to try and reframe the problem in my own mind to make it into a problem which I can try and find solutions to rather than taking it personally. Jamie, is that a familiar dilemma to you? Completely. And I think you backed off the question a little. You said maybe not making people cry. To my shame, early in my career, I have made people cry. I've made other staff staff members cry. And they're some of the moments that I am, yeah, that I'm most ashamed of in my in my professional career of having been that person. And I think, you know, Ria's talked about, about doing the best you can and that being enough. 
I think that frame of being enough is quite important, isn't it? It's about recognising that you know we don't have the resource to be able to do everything. And I think what rises in me, and I don't know whether you guys would resonate with this at all, but what rises in me is almost a sense of two emotions, one of almost panic, of I can't cope with this, the demands are too great, when I've got three people stacked up in the room waiting to talk to me while I'm in the middle of trying to deal with a complex blood task. And the, it feels like the cognitive bandwidth is totally saturated and I have that sense of rising panic. But very quickly that can shift almost into a sense of anger and so I project the problem out onto the people who are actually seeking to connect with me and ask for help. And it feels to me like what they want is a piece of me and I'm angry with them. And I think that's the shift that I, that I hope I'm better at not making now than I was you know, 10, 15 years ago. And just recognising that actually I can deal with this by reaching out to those staff, by saying, oh my goodness, today's turning into a bit of a nightmare, isn't it? But it's going to be okay. We can, you know, that sort of trying to connect. And often in that moment, what happens is the staff are then able to both offer some human connection back and that comforts me and you feel less alone but also you recognise that actually you are able just to offer them just a little bit of reassurance and that helps to just bring the emotional tenor down and I'm less likely therefore to swear at them, swear at the computer or indeed swear at myself afterwards for not having been my best self kind of you know, just, just reaching I, out for. I completely agree Jamie I think the most important thing you can do on an on-call is go and meet the rest of the team who are on-call with you in the morning connect uh, and decide jointly how you can make things better for for all of you. Instead of thinking of a book called um, Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute and it's all about how you start to see people as people rather than just as objects and and Mm. I guess connecting with them and seeing them rather as something that just wants a piece of me. You Mm. see them as a person with real needs and wants and Mm. expectations but that's that's really hard when you are backed up with three people waiting urgent phone calls in the middle of a difficult blood result but I thought what was interesting about what Jamie said was that rising sense of panic because I think that is definitely my trigger that I feel overwhelmed and as if I won't quite make it through this on-call shift because it's so bad and that it's that rising sense of panic and I think what can sometimes then be really helpful well first of all Riaz you said about connecting with people on the morning and I do do that. And we have a laugh about the fact that I'm, hey, I'm jolly right now, but hey, let's review things in four hours time when <laughs> I'm wait. saying the F word. <laughs> you wait till Frankenstein emerges at two o'clock. From and, 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 and really interestingly, I think it's um, being able to reflect on those thought processes as that panic arises, isn't it? That it is your thought processes just getting out of control. And I know, Rachel, in the past, you've talked about chimp paradox, about your inner chimp escaping and playing tricks with you in terms of your thought processes and how you have to rein in the chimp. And we did a a little session on that in my practice at one practice meeting. And now I even have a picture of a chimp on a postcard that when things are getting slightly out of hand, I blue tack it to the screen just to let people know the chimp is out. (laughs) (laughs) Do not go to Joe's room. The chimp chimp is is out. out. It's a signal to others, not so much a signal to self. I'm just letting you know. Just putting it out there. Stay away. Stay away. I mean, that's quite a 
good strategy. And I think for listeners who've not read The Chimp Paradox, it's all about our, our amygdala response, which our amygdalas get triggered when we are uh, feel a physical threat or we feel an emotional threat or a group threat. And I guess this feeling of panic puts straight into fight, flight or freeze response. And Dr. Steve Peters, who wrote The Chimp Paradox, describes it as your inner chimp coming out. And actually... You can't help that. And I think that was what was really helpful for me about the chimp paradox is I spent a lot of time beating myself up about being a bad person because I had these thoughts because I felt angry and cross when I was interrupted and overwhelmed and panicked. But just sort of, firstly, a bit of self-compassion of your amygdala is there to protect you. It's been there for millions of years and it's highly evolved to detect a threat. So we can't stop it from working. But when, when it is working, when it is out, we do turn into this monster at work, we then have to manage it and we then have a choice about what we do. So I think in The Chimp Paradox, he talks about, first of all, recognising when it's out. So I think you get a bit sweary. I get, certainly get a bit sweary and snappy. What, do you, what happens to you when your chimp's out, Jamie? I think I look very grim. Okay. I think I, and I think I signal with my face. Okay. Um, and Grimmer so I... than normal. <laughs> Careful, chimpsy out. <laughs> but no, I think I, I, I look like I get a face like thunder, I think. Okay. And yes, I get a little bit, I, I get short. Riaz? I look for chocolate. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure actually. Probably go quiet. Okay. Ah, so be careful of Riaz. He's really <laughs> quiet. So yeah, so, so recognising it and then giving yourself space. And I think what you're doing with your chimp sticker on your computer is giving yourself a bit of space. But unfortunately, space often isn't what we have in general practice. Because once you have space, you can then start to analyse what your thoughts are. You know, when I'm feeling really panicky, I'm thinking this day is never going to end. I'm going to make a mistake. Everyone's going to think I'm awful. And if you have space, you can sit down and go, hang on a sec. I'm not a bad doctor. This is stressful for anyone. And then you'll be out of your fight, flight or freeze and you can then choose your response. But how do you do that in a busy on-call day? I think we need to recognise that there's like a double burden here because it's not just that you need space by which we mean time and quiet you know the time to be on your own and to be quiet so that you can get in touch with yourself and so you're not in front of someone else as you manage yourself but also it takes energy to manage yourself and we don't have a lot of that on an on-call day either so there's a sort of double burden that we need time and space and we don't have time and space and we need to put that investment in and and that's a struggle as well it feels like yet another demand it's another task and now the task is to manage myself uh, the toilet is a great place <laughs> <laughs> jamie deals with his chimp in the toilet <laughs> M- moving on <laughs> there's a strap line coming your life too just a couple of practical tips rachel so yeah i think the, the two kind of structural reasons why on calls can be stressful are number one you can feel very lonely and isolated mm. there's only one of you versus the world and the second is that there isn't any limit on the amount of work you can get. You could have a quiet long call, God forbid, you know, in, in August when you get 10 calls, but in February you could get 50 or 60 calls. And I think it's that unpredictability which can often be really, really stressful. So a really easy tri- uh, really easy tip, uh, and I think some, one which I've seen work really well, depending on the side of your size of your surgery, is to have two people on call. So you buddy up and you keep each other going. And if you're dealt, if you're stuck with a really long, complex case, the other person is there having your back or if you need to go out for a visit they're there covering for you secondly is actually putting some some kind of cap on your work so you don't do prescriptions that day or you're capped at so many phone calls and your colleagues would have to you know help you out once you get to that limit i think that can be a really effective way of 
dealing with some of the stress. Mm. I'd really second that, you know, the first ex- or tip you gave about working alongside other people. Yeah. We've only in our surgery over the past two weeks introduced an idea of working alongside someone yeah. else yeah. in the surgery. So I did my first on-call yesterday alongside a colleague and it wasn't necessarily that we were both working from the same list that was helpful. Mm. She was working from her own list and then we swapped over the on-call. But it was the fact that you had a companion in the room to feed ideas off. You could get quick wins that way as well. You know, sometimes those very complex patients where you're thinking, oh, the stress is, have I done what I should have done for that person? Or is there something I'm missing here? That you could just quickly bounce ideas off that person. In between patients, there was the occasional quick hit of a bit of a laugh about something that just buoyed Mm. you up. And it did make a world of difference, I have to say, having that other person alongside me. I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. I don't know that that was reciprocated, but uh, that was certainly my feeling. Apparently it wasn't. <laughs> yes, I think there's definitely something about getting support and having someone alongside you because you might not be in a position in a practice to be able to influence how they run their own calls and what, what cap there is for work. But I think there are things that we can do to find our own support at work and the amount of people that don't take a coffee break and don't try and interact with people at work. I guess you get into the siege mentality where you just put your head down, close the door and you you get on with everything and you think, well, if I go for a 10 minute coffee break and talk to people, that's 10 minutes more of work I could have done. But, you know, everything that I've read about productivity says that A, you should be having a break because it will make you more productive and B, you know, actually being able to bounce ideas off someone is good for your productivity because you'll get solutions to problems but Mm. you just feel so much less isolated and your chimp Mm. will calm down and you'll be back more in your rational creative zone so you won't be likely to snap at that receptionist so quickly when they come with that extra thing I think the other interesting an additional rather an additional I I wouldn't say this is necessarily a tip but I think we talk um, when we've taught on our you know presented on our lead manage thrive course before we talk about that importance of vulnerability don't we and about the importance of other people recognizing that you have your own vulnerabilities and you being able to share those with people and certainly when we had our um, practice afternoon where we we talked about some of the pressures in the practice and we mentioned this idea of the chimp paradox and we started to discuss as a team each of us sharing what their chimp was doing or saying when they were under stress. And for me, what was really lovely about that was people sharing things like, you know, just very personal comments like, I feel like I'm a really rubbish doctor. I feel like I shouldn't be here. I feel like I can't cope. I feel I'm really inadequate. And, you know, it was just, although it was in some ways sad hearing that's what people feel, 
it was also quite uplifting to know that other people share those similar kind of pressures and thoughts if you like that it's not just you everyone's feeling like that when they're on call and I think that being able to then be kind to yourself and say actually the reason I feel like this is because this is a really stressful job and put anyone in this situation they'd feel really stressed out about it and other people in this situation feel the same as me so you're not on your own and I think there's something very powerful about that. Do you have any hints and tips to manage yourself in those sorts of situations? So in all honesty, I was not entirely joking about the toilet. If the thing, if the problem is that you're up against it and you're not allowed to take a break and you feel like you can't be seen to walk out the room and you can't be seen to walk away, nobody can say you cannot go to the toilet. (laughs) There is a place for going, I'm just going to take a loo break. What if they say, Jamie, you've already been six times in the past hour? Tell me There's a moment for you. vulnerability and accepting your limitations. Urology. Have the blood on the size of a marble. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, you can't be constantly. But that ability just to say, I am going to walk out of this situation, if only momentarily, to give me time to breathe. Some of those physical exercises of recentering yourself, adopting open posture, conscious muscular relaxation, deep breathing all of those things just behind a closed door nobody needs to see no one's going to come and knock on the door just taking a step out I think also I can't remember where I read it and I wish I could but recognizing that neither our thought life nor our emotional life is actually a a barometer of reality Mm. they are an internal experience Mm. they're not necessarily a real experience and I found it really helpful that the the book that, that I'm remembering this in talked about thoughts as things that pass through your mind and go into the past and felts as things which pass through your emotional world and move into the past Mm -hmm. and neither those thoughts nor those felts are actually real they're what's going on inside me and I find it helpful just to recognize sometimes in those moments of I can't do this I'm never going to get out of here of hang on actually there has not ever not once in my general practice career been a time where I have stayed the night at the practice. <laughs> Yet. <I've> been... <laughs> he's, not, yes, he's obviously not as committed to his practice yeah. as no, we no, are. Absolutely. Yeah. Lightweight. Yeah. Lightweight. So can we just put a put a flag in the ground on that last on that last humorous comment? Because that also is a reaction which you know, you talked about that almost that sense of imposter. When we feel like this, we feel bad about ourselves, mm. like we're bad doctors. Mm. And I recognise that's a very common reaction that, that many of us have. But there is another reaction that some people have under strain, which is exactly that. Which is to look around at your colleagues who are not on call and go, the useless bunch. If they were any good, they'd be helping me out. They'd be noticing that I'm bleeding through my eyeball. They would know that this is terrible. Why aren't they? And so it's that sense of blaming others and that that also, that tendency to dehumanise them diminishes your contact with them, decreases your connectedness and therefore overall actually, as a coping strategy, undermines your resilience. But I I do think that just that sense of accepting that these emotions of panic and of anger and of, they, they don't have to dictate my reality. Oh, okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Okay, I might actually even choose to consciously slow down in that moment because I know that the medical errors of which I am most disappointed in myself have all occurred in those moments. 
where I'm under that sort of strain and I'm trying to cut corners and go faster. Mm. And so actually almost saying, oh, okay, I'm going to choose to recognise those, those experiences as danger flags that tell me I need to just take a moment. And, mm. and it's interesting what you say because sometimes we have this feeling of, well, I have this feeling of doom and everything's awful and dreadful mm. and suddenly I realise I'm just hungry. <laughs> <laughs> or, or hungry. Angry, and there's that thing about like Snickers advert. Yeah, halt if you're hungry, angry, late or tired. But it, it's so true. And I think some there's this tendency to think general practice is really hard, and it's got worse and worse and worse. But I worked as a receptionist for many years, all through my teens, and when I was at university in the holidays for my father's GP practice, and there was a GP there who regularly was a complete monster at work and they would regularly get really upset towards the late afternoon and yell at the receptionists. You know, this was in the, the 90s. So, you know, this has been a problem. You know, mm. so it's not necessarily that our workload is so bad that we're all turning into monsters. It's, it's actually, it's just one of those things in the job. And I guess part of the job is managing our emotions when, when we feel like that. One might call that professionalism. The P word. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. It's part of, it's part of what we yeah. have to do yeah. Yeah. in the same way that we screen ourselves out to a degree when we're interacting with patients. Yes. When it's, you know, yeah. when it's appropriate. And I wonder if the, the listener, if the senior partner had come in and interrupted, they probably wouldn't have been as snappy as they had been with perhaps the receptionist. Because we can self-regulate when we really, really have to in mm. every circumstance, can't mm. we? That's quite an uncomfortable reflection. Is it a true reflection, do you think? I think it absolutely is. Mm. I really do mm. think it is. But it doesn't feel good or right. No. Because what it says is that I'm willing to take this out. I'm willing to take my emotional state out on someone who I perceive as being of lower status and lower value than me. Mm. And that, that kind of sucks, mm. doesn't it? It does, but you, you see it in practice, yeah. don't you, where the receptionist will say, how was that patient when they spoke to you? And you say, oh, they're fine. Mm. And they've had a real shouting match at the receptionist or being really mm. rude mm. and totally changed their approach when they're speaking mm. to someone mm. who they perceive to mm. be the professional. So it happens in yes. across all of us, doesn't it? Not yeah. just in... Um, and I think that's terrible. And when we talk to front desk, you're always saying, you know, that's this, you know, if people are giving you a really hard time, do let me know because I will raise it with them. Mm. Um, it's, you know because I feel that that's really important. And then mm. suddenly in this conversation, what emerges is my potential to be that difficult a patient. The yes. person that they need to send me a screen message yes. about is me. <laughs> you, you are them. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think? I mean, I feel a lot of compassion for this person who is sort of regularly having this stress reaction so that they end up snapping at people because they must feel really awful when they do. And I know that when I have been short, I've always felt dreadful and gone to apologise to the person and tried to make it right and really beat myself up about it for days and days and days so you know what advice would you give them if they do get really snappy and do lose a little bit what should they do then i think what you've already said about apology i think mm. apology goes a long way mm. and i think a lot of us find it really really hard to apologize and i think if you're able to admit to people that you work with that you made a mistake and you're sorry about that and do that in a genuine way. I don't mean getting down on your hands and knees and grovelling. I mean, just, you know, God, last, last week on call was awful. I'm really sorry I ended up swearing in front of you, but I really was feeling the pressure, mm. and I'm really sorry about that. You know, it makes a big difference, I think. You, you've got to do it in a timely way. Yes, absolutely. You can't delay the apology. No. Otherwise, yeah, you lose the moment. 
Rachel, I think I think it's really fascinating what we're discussing. Um, I think there's so many practical things you can do to make your day less stressful mm. as well. And you know, after each on call, maybe you know, people should just take a little bit of time just to reflect on what can I change about the way I did things, or other th- simple things that we can change in practice, just to make small marginal gains to make things better. For example, you know, if you've got it in a big surgery. Can you move a bit closer to the waiting room? Or, you know, can you uh, progressively get uh, delegate more things to your receptionist to do? Or do you have to answer every single phone call the minute it comes in? Or, you know, if you wait for half an hour and the problem kind of resolves. Mm-hmm. Or can you ask a chemist to do more work for you? There's a medication query. I think there's so many small little things we can do to ease the day. We'll still probably have some stress and we'll just think about it and reflect on it. But, you know, let's try some practical mm-hmm. stuff as well. Mm. I think we can self-sabotage really quickly. I was talking to a GP who, when she was on call and she'd be staying really late, then would feel really guilty if she went back out to reception and there were loads of prescriptions on waiting to be signed. She felt she had to do them all, but actually she didn't at all. They could be done the next day. So I think sometimes our perfectionism and Mm. our wanting our colleagues to think well of us or not think, oh, she's left all those prescriptions, is sabotaging it a little bit for ourselves. I think that's right. I would say three things. I think the first is own it. So if you recognise that's happened, go out into reception or go and see whoever it is that you and say, I'm really sorry. I'm under the cosh today. I lost it a bit there. It wasn't about you. I'm very sorry. I'm going to go and take 10 and just go for a, go for a 10 minute walk, five minutes out, five minutes back. Be better when I get back. Let me know if anyone collapses in um, the meantime. Absolutely. <laughs> You've got to make sure that that's safe. If you're the only doctor in the building and the rules are that there's always a doctor in the building, then that's maybe less of a... But in most settings these days, it's possible to say, I'm under the cosh today and I'm not really coping. I need 10 minutes. Mm. I'm going for 10 minutes. I think that's so owning it, acting on it, taking appropriate action. I think secondly, something that we haven't mentioned, the setup here is about a regular on-call. How much sleep do you get before you're on-call? Turning up mm. underslept, you decrease your ability to manage your emotions from the off. And it is just, again, it's that whole thing of self-sabotage that sometimes I feel like on a Sunday evening I'm always on-call on a Monday because I have mug tattooed on my forehead. It's, but there is something about wanting to hold on to Sunday evening for as long as I can. So the temptation to just watch a bit more telly, just read another chapter of the book because once I decide I'm going to bed... Monday's nearer. So that whole thing of, again, self-sabotage. And then I think something that actually, Rachel, you, you mentioned on the, on the course that we teach to Lead Manage Thrive, but that I, I found a very interesting reflection, was the issue of a gratitude diary and the way that that alters our own thinking and perception. I think Riaz's input to saying, think about your work environment and the small changes you can make, like absolutely foundational, really, really important, and piggyback it with thinking about your internal environment and what you can change. I thought it's a great phrase, which is, when you're on call, you're practicing oh, extreme general practice. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like an extreme sport, you know, yeah, so, you, yeah, so you know, you've got to be on your toes, <laughs> you've got to be agile, nimble, yeah, yeah. You know, like have eyes in the back of your head. Yeah. Like you know, treat it like a bit of a challenge, and you know, just try your best to roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think there's something about self-compassion as well. You know, it's really tough being on call. It's really tough working in healthcare, and you're not only up against the workload, but you're also dealing with a lot of patients who are in distress, who are ill, who are quite rude themselves, whose chimps might be out, and just say, actually, anyone would be feeling like this in mm. in this position. And if occasionally I do lose it, then 
you know what, it's not the end of the world. Mm. Mm. And give yourself some time and space, you know, after you're on call. Don't, a lot of us then just rush from one thing to another or rush to do bath and bed or that. Maybe you need to do something really relaxing afterwards if you can just sort of sit in a darkened room for an hour or, you know, go to the gym on your way home or go for a swim or do something that is going to re-energise you so that you can actually carry on with the rest of the week. Any other top tips before we finish up? Clear your day if you're on call. Don't have anything else built into it. Yeah. You can just focus entirely on being on call. I think we've got quite a lot of stuff to be going on with. I think if people are interested in the chimp paradox, I um, really suggest you read the book by Dr. Steve Peters. It's, it's really, really good, really, really helpful. Manage that chimp. Make sure you're not trying to do too many things at once. If you're feeling yourself reacting, go to the loo or make yourself a cup of tea (laughs) or go for a walk or just give yourself space to get out of that zone and just be kind to yourself, kind to others. Mm. There we are, we've cracked it. Yeah, I think... Brilliant. Fantastic, moving forward. Yeah. No more more swearing at work for me. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Great. Well, thank you guys um, for your wisdom. We'd love to have you all on the podcast again. That's great. And yeah, I hope everybody has a calm and peaceful week bye now bye it's been a blast thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this episode then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on itunes so that other people can find it too do follow me on twitter at dr rachel morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which i run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website bye for now <laughs>